0: Well, hey. Hope you guys are having a great day. Listen, did anybody like school growing up? Did anybody actually like school? See, I liked school. Some of you are raising your hand. Some of you did. Some of you are like, eh, why are we talking about this? I don't have PTSD from school. But like, some of us, I liked school. There were specific subjects I thoroughly enjoyed. Like lunch, love lunch. One of my favorite subjects. Sorry, teachers, but I really like lunch. Recess. Oh my gosh, recess was so much fun. I could run instead of sit still because you know me, I love to sit still. Uh, and then specifically, there was also days that I really liked school. Maybe you like this day when the teacher announced that we were having field day and they get excited. Me and my friend, we owned that tug of war. We would get there and be like, mm, I win. They don't do it anymore because it hurts kids now, apparently. But for, uh, for me, I loved field day. And then there was another day that I really, really enjoyed. It was the days, it's going to date me, that we got to go to the computer lab, right? I would go there. We would word process or whatever it was, again, dating me. Play some Dooms, Commander Keen, and some Oregon Trail. Anybody here play Oregon Trail in computer lab? Wow, a bunch of you. Did you all die of dysentery constantly as well? All the time, this guy. Now, there's also some parts of school that I did not enjoy. Whenever the teacher would announce that we are doing a group, Project. So let's see who's in the room when it comes to group projects. This might divide us, but I really want to know who loved group projects growing up. Who loved group projects in the room? Okay, a couple of you. Who hated group projects a lot more? Okay, just look around the room, a lot more. When it came to group projects, there was always three types of people if you notice this. The first type of person, doers. These are the people who absolutely hated group projects. You know why, right? They're like, I'm independent. I'm autonomous, and I don't want to have to depend on you slackers for my grade, right? These are the people who are like, I'm just going to do all the work, because if you did it, there's no way you would do it as good as I would, and all the doers in the world said amen, right? So doers hate group projects. The second group of people were the helpers. These people loved group projects in the sense of when the teacher announced a group project, they're like, okay, 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 let's get together. You can come to my house My mom can give us snacks. We can meet in the basement. And they love buying things for the project for some reason. They would be like, okay, I got three of the trifold things. You know, that stand on their own. I got three of those because we might mess one up and we might need another one. And then I might want to do one for fun just to help you guys out. These are the people are like my Enneagram twos in the room, right? The Enneagram twos, oh my gosh, we need more of you. Please go be fruitful and multiply. God bless you all. These people didn't mind a group project. Then the last set of people... These were the talkers. So when the teacher announced a group project was happening, they'd be like, okay, you're cool, you're attractive, you're smart, you can do the whole work, all the work for me. And they, would, they loved getting people together that they liked to hang out with and giving the work to one person. They were so much so of the helpers that they would be like, I mean, they, they loved the doers because they would be like, I'm going to do the project as the talker. You do all the work. I'll see you in a month. Peace. And they would just be out, Right. They loved a group project. Now, for a successful project to get a good grade, you actually need a balance of all three, don't you? Because imagine if you had only doers in your group. It would be like World War III, right? I'm going to do the work. No, I'm going to do the work. I have a higher GPA, so I'm going to do it. And it would be a battle. It would be not a fun. It would be heated the whole time. If you had a group full of helpers, it would be really nice hey, let me help you. Okay, no, I'm going to help you. No, I'm going to... Nothing would get done, right? <laughs> if you had all talkers, for sure, you're going to get a terrible grade, but you're going to have so much fun doing it, right? That's what it takes to be to have a group project. Now, you might be asking, why are we talking about this, Raul? I'm still in counseling because of this, right? It's not to reminisce. It's It's maybe for therapy for myself, but really... The reason is, it's the realization that I had this week as I was preparing this talk that life is a group project, and all the doers in the room just tuned me out. More on that in a second. We're in the last message of a series called Lists, Rules, and Boxes to Check. Oh my. Do we ever feel that way, that that's our life? That we're just running this rat race of life, sending that email, finishing that project, doing laundry, taking the kids here, taking the kids there, cooking a meal all over and over, studying for that test. And we're just trying to get ahead and we can never feel like we can get ahead. Right. And it's causing our hearts to always be racing because once we finish our to do list at the end of the day, we wake up just having to do it all over again. Right. And it feels like our heart never stops until we get to this place of rest. But then the list just keeps getting longer and longer. Doctors are actually calling this, diagnosing this as hurry sickness, a behavior pattern characterized by continual rushing and anxiousness. See, it's this feeling that I've got to keep up with. I've got to strive to be, I've got to do more, do more, do more in order to feel successful because we're all a bunch of success addicts, aren't we? We just want to check the boxes at the end of the day to make ourselves feel like we're accomplishing something. But if I were to ask you, is this way of life helping you become who you want to be? Is it helping you become the me you want to be and ultimately who your heavenly father wants to be? Is it helping you have better relationships with your kids, your spouse, your coworkers, your friends? Is it helping you react better? Is it helping you respond better or are you blowing up? Is it helping you focus on the person in front of you? Or are you constantly talking to someone and irritated they interrupted you or thinking about what needs to happen next so you're not really developing good relationships? And you ask yourselves, is there a better way? And in this series, we've determined there is a better way. The better way is the way of Jesus. See, the life of Jesus, if you read in scripture about his life, he never hurried anywhere. He was never telling the disciples, can you please keep up with me? He never ran anywhere. He walked, and yet he still accomplished so many things that we're still talking about him today. And the whole thing we've been talking about is this one statement, is this way of Jesus. He told us to do this. He says this, yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me, who stay connected to me, another translation might say abide, will produce much fruit. The fruit of who you want to become, the me you want to be, and who your heavenly father designed you to be. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And what Jesus is telling us is, if you try, you can try and live this life, and you're going to get the same result, right? If you keep living the same way you're living, you're going to get the same result. But if you want a better way, you've got to stay connected to Jesus, So part one, we said the first step to making room for Jesus in your life is to practice the pause. And when you pause before reaching for your phone, before switching lanes at the grocery store, you say this prayer. You say, God, help me walk slowly enough to calm yourself, to remain connected to Jesus so that you can experience Jesus fully and you'll be able to love people deeply. And then last week we said, once you've determined that, you've made room and space in your life for that. Now you need to create a framework because it's easy to get distracted and to go off course. And so in order to, we said that we have to keep in step, which means we have to have a rule of life, a framework to help us. And that's, that's when you start experiencing Jesus fully, when you'll say, God, help me walk solely enough so that I can experience the full life Jesus mentions to us. Now, the problem is you might've tried this. You might've practiced the pause. You might've developed a rule of life and created a framework so you can keep in step with the spirit of God so you can keep living this life. but but you're not seeing transformation. And you might've even already given up even though it's only been two weeks and it can be frustrating and cause you to quit. Well, the thing I wanna talk about today is actually there's a third component that you have to do, a third and final component in order to live this way. And it's going back to that statement I made at the top of this message where I said, life is a group project. And essentially what I'm trying to say, in order to follow the way of Jesus, we need community. Now, before you tune me out, And this is a typical groups message where the church wants me to feel guilty about not being in a group. I mean, that's part of it, but not the whole part, okay? I want you to think a little bit bigger than that. This is bigger than just sitting in a group and talking about your feelings. We need people to do life with. We need community because that's what Jesus calls us to because, listen, you might be frustrated. You might have quit anything you've done in your life already because you don't have community. But before I get there, let me explain something. I want to set it up. I want to set up this argument I have for you. See, in America... We are terrible at community because we love our independence, don't we? We love to live in isolation, and we're really good at individualism, even though we desire community. Let me give you some stats. Um, The rest of the world understands this better than we do, that community is necessary. They invite people over to their house for dinner or for meals in order to get to know them. In America, we invite people over only after we've gotten to know them. See, in 1984, about the average American had three confidants, three people that they could share their last 10%, where they can trust them with anything. They did a study again recently. Out of every American, only 25%, actually 25%, not only twenty percent have zero now. One out of every four have zero confidants. No wonder we feel chronically lonely, right? Stats are telling us one-third of all Americans, 35%, are actually chronically lonely. This last stat, staggering. I'm going to have to say it twice. 8% of all Americans have had a conversation with their neighbor in the past year. Did you hear that? 8% of everybody living in America has talked to somebody who lives around them. That's crazy to me. And that's why we need this message. That's what prompted me to want to say this is the third and final component. Because we feel forgotten. We need people in our lives. But we're so busy that we don't have people in our lives. We're running kids around. We're trying to accomplish more, strive more, hit our financial goals, that people just get in the way, right? And we're never meant to do life alone. See, when life when crisis hits, when life hits, we need people to encourage us, to help us keep going. But yet we're so good at individualism that we just keep trying all and all on our own. For example, you wanted to get healthier, right? Maybe you wanted to be a better boss, better spouse, better parent. You've listened to guys like me. You've YouTube things. You've even put practices into place to help you. But eventually you didn't see growth fast enough, so you quit. You see what I'm saying? And the reason is, Because you try to do it all by yourself. And community doesn't happen by accident. It happens intentionally. So we need to be a group of people who focus on having community. Now you might be saying, well Raul, I have community. I've got a ton of people in my life. I'm so involved with people. I have community. That's actually a misconception. See, there's a bunch of misconceptions to what true community is. Let me give you three of them. The first one that we have is we mistake connection for community. We are more connected now than ever in history. Like I can know what's going on in people's lives around the world that instant happens thanks to social media and online news outlets, right? But what's crazy is research has shown that digital connectedness, it just increases your sense of loneliness. The more you use technology to connect, the more you actually become lonely. And so we mistake connection for community. The second one, we mistake chemistry for community. So chemistry, it's that neurological spark, right? That when you meet someone, you're like, oh my gosh, we're like the same person. You too, me too, right? For a couple weeks ago, I was talking to this guy and I was talking about my life and I was like, hey, I, you know, I told him I grew up in Miami. He's like, no way, 305 till I die. I was like, 305 till I die. Absolutely. I grew up in Miami. I kept talking, I explained how much I love Marvel. and He's like, me too. And then I finally ended with how much I love Cuban food. Give me a croqueta, an empanada, a cafe con leche, any day. And he's like, me too, right? And we have this instant chemistry. I haven't talked to him since then. <laughs> it was a couple weeks ago. I don't even have his phone number. I forgot his name. Oh, shoot. Sorry, whoever you are. Um, but it's like we mistake chemistry for community. Then the last one is we mistake friendship for community. We have tons of friends right now, don't we? Maybe they're digital. Maybe they're real. Some of them probably live 600 miles away and you text to them constantly But when was the last time you spent time with them? Maybe one or two times during a year? If you're more intentional, maybe three to four times? And we've mistaken friendship for community. Do you actually do life with someone you call friend? Do you see do you see what I'm trying to get at here? And and for us, the thing, the thing we see is the thing I'm trying to get across is we can have chemistry with people and not have community. But also let's flip that. The thing I wanna propose to you is we can have community without having chemistry without having connectedness without even having friendship let me explain my wife and i annie we were part of a married group and when we joined this group the only thing we had in commonality was we wanted community oh my gosh it was so random so one guy was an atheist another couple were just starting at the church another person had never read their bible another person was missionaries and then there's us right it was just a ragtag group of people it was so funny and it was hard when we started the group we're like there's no way this is going to work and then we ended up laughing way too much in our group and really started growing closer and closer together the more time we spent. So much so that we found camaraderie around one specific thing. You know what that was? Nicolas Cage. Yep, the actor. Gone in 60 seconds. Uh, face off. National treasure. One of his finest. Um, so much so that at our white elephant gift exchange for our group, Andy and I found this pillow on Amazon that had Nick Cage's face on it. You know, the kind where you swipe up and it doesn't show anything, but he swipe down and it shows him. It was amazing. So we brought it so excited. Another couple had bought the same thing. A third couple was so excited about the pillows. They stole both of the pillows and now proudly displayed in their home. Every time we come over, that's what can happen when you have true community and you don't allow these misconceptions to get in the way. Let me give you some other forms of valid community. I was going to say validity community. Um, CrossFit. CrossFit, they do it so well. You're all working towards a common goal and you meet at a regular time at the same time every single week. Dog parks. Man, people who go to the dog park to let their dogs play at the same time every day really can find community with people as they share and do life together and talk about their life. Uh, Another one, this is crazy. Did you know there's a drifting community? It's when you go like all fast and furious with your car. It's fascinating to me. I don't know how they do it or when they do it. Maybe they go to like Walmart at 2 a.m. and do donuts in the parking lot or go to some field in Oakwood and just tear it up. I don't know, but it's fascinating to me. But there's a community for drifters. This last one, Discord. I don't know if you've heard of Discord, but it kind of became super popular during the pandemic when we couldn't see people. And what they started creating digital communities where you would join a channel, sneakers, cooking, um, and even like shopping, like it's hilarious. And they would talk about these things that they're super proud of and super, uh, involved with so much. So now that you can meet with people, they're starting to create these physical communities. They've bridged that gap. And now there's people meeting in person and doing life together. Cause what happened is they wouldn't just talk about shoes in their channel. They would talk about what's going on in their lives and creating a legit discord community and a legit d- digital community that is now meeting in person for us. Maybe our commonality is that the fact that we're here today, that you're watching this message, that you're listening to me, and this is our commonality. And see, I want to try try to get you past the understanding that I have to connect, I have to find chemistry, I have to have friends in order to have community. See, we can have commonality in this room just by being here together, and it doesn't have to be based on our persuasion, our cultural preference, our ethnicity, or wherever we fall on the tax bracket or educational background. Regardless, we can have community with people that we don't have those specific things with. Jesus did this so well, didn't he? Like if we're truly trying to follow the way of Jesus, he did this so well that he was never alone. Now there was times he withdrew to recharge and spend time with his heavenly father, with God. But every other time, if you look at the life of Jesus, he was with the disciples. He was with Mary and Martha. He was at people's houses, especially tax collectors who he had nothing in common with. And he would just spend time with them. And while he was there, he didn't just hang out. He did it to show his community, his people, the people who were following him, his apprentices, how to grow and mature to follow this better way of living. And when you look at his life, he did specific things that had true community, really good community. And the author of Hebrews kind of gives us a glimpse into what this looks like. As they speak to the Hebrews, they're trying to convince them, this is what you need to do to have community. The author puts it this way. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. See, the author was talking about seeing two people, which means, uh, if you've heard this term, it means just to hold each other accountable. We need to take care of each other. We need to be involved in each other's life. So you notice when someone is drifting off course, not drifting fast and furious style, but it's getting off alignment to following this way of Jesus that you want to f- follow. And essentially the author here is saying the goal of community is to help you live the way you want to live and to become who ultimately your heavenly father wants you to become. But the problem is you can't do it alone. We need people because if you're by yourself, you've tried it, you give up too easily. I noticed this for me recently. Oh, not recently, a couple years ago. Um, I was trying to run a 5K. Randomly, I woke up one day and I'm like, I want to run a 5K. And my wife's like, I'm, where did this come from? I was like, I want to be healthy. I just want to run a 5K. Okay, let me be me. All right. And so... I, the next day, uh, the day I went and got some clothes, some workout clothes. And the next day I was like, okay, here we go. I'm going to run a 5K. I made it about half a mile and then I couldn't stop breathing heavily. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm going back home. All right. <laughs> the next day, my body was too sore. So I didn't run. <laughs> day three, I got up. and was like, here we go again. I made it about half a mile again. Then I couldn't do it. Day four, I woke up and i like, nope, still sore. Day five, I quit. I'm like, I'm done. There's no way. I can't make it you you've been there don't lie to yourself you know you've been there too and then i was talking to one of my friends later on that week after i just quit and he was like man raul i'm trying to run a 5k i was like i was like oh should i tell him should i say i was like yeah yeah me too oh that just came out he's like we should run one together i'm like oh yeah me too we should run one together and then we both decided to text each other and do the couch to 5k app and i ended up running a 5k easily it was actually very easy once you followed the method but really it's because this guy was holding me accountable my friend, was texting. we were texting with each other, and that's what helped me. That's what the author of Hebrews is trying to explain here. And he explains this next part. He says, here's how, what you do while having community so you can hold each other accountable. Encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. Now, when you read that word encourage, we think, oh, good job. Keep going. You can do it. That's not what the author is talking about. No, we need that. But the actual Greek word for encourage means to call to one's aid. And what the author is trying to tell us is, listen, you need people so involved in your life that they can come at a moment's notice. And it needs to be a daily thing. It's a consistent thing. It's not a one-time thing. It's being so involved in your life that I can notice when you're drifting and you can notice in me when I'm drifting, when I'm going off course. See, the author is trying to tell us, hey, listen, no one should struggle alone because when a crisis hits, you need people, but also When doubts hit, when a temptation hits, when questions cause you to not become who you want to become and move you off course. When I read this verse, um, I thought of the show, American Ninja Warriors. Anybody ever watched the show before Uh, man? This show, it's so inspiring, isn't it? Like you watch people and look at this, look at the picture of this guy. He, I, I look like him. I could do this, right? Like you look at, they're not the most buff people, but yet they do it because they want to overcome something they want to uh, one dad said i want to show my kids that i can do hard things so he finished the course another person was hearing impaired and did it another person had a prosthetic leg and they wanted to show that their community that they can do these things isn't that amazing so inspiring there's always this one point when you're watching the show when they're focusing on the individual and then all of a sudden they pan to like a group of people like this and they're cheering them on they're going crazy and i'm like bro chill out bro you're going kind of nuts But they're so excited, and it's not their family. They might show their family, but then they move to this group of people. And this group of people, they put this little bottom third thing. It says training Training crew, training group, training partners, whatever it is. And what I've learned is as I watch that show, the people who had a group, they actually made it to the end. See, the people who trained together go the farthest in American Ninja Warrior. They didn't do it by themselves. The people who finished, had the crew, most of the people who didn't finish didn't have this crew. And that's what the author of Hebrews is saying. It's saying, encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, because we need to go the farthest. We can't go far without them. Now, the author of Hebrews is saying, the reason you really need this, especially if you're a follower of Jesus, is because we need to not fall into, not have our hearts hardened by sin's deceitfulness. See, sin is anything you do that hurts you or hurts others, which ultimately hurts your relationship with your heavenly father. And what the author is trying to help us understand is sin is deceitful. It doesn't just, you don't just wake up and go, I'm going to be a sinner today. I'm going to go sin everywhere. Like you don't just go and say that, right? Instead, we talk ourselves into dumb things and out of wise things, don't we? We say things like, well, if people knew my situation, they would do the same thing. If it wasn't for their fault, I wouldn't be in this place man, I deserve this. If it weren't for my mom, if it weren't for my dad, and we kind of deceive ourselves into dumb things, don't we? And when that happens, not only do we go off course, but our heart gets hardened because of the deceitfulness, where we don't go back on course. And the only way to stay in alignment to keeping in step with the spirit to follow the way of Jesus is by encouraging one another daily so our hearts don't get hardened. It's essentially what the author is trying to tell us is that the best defense against sin's deceitfulness? It's not me. It's not you. The best defense is we. We need each other so bad. Because as long as you keep it within, you're going to live with regret. As long as you, you keep drifting, you're going to live with regret. And you're not going to end up where you want to end up, which is how the author finishes. Finishes this way. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. See, if you live in community, not only will you adopt the way of Jesus and live that way, but you'll actually make it to become who you want to become and who your heavenly father designed you to become. Because you'll make it to the very end because you'll be holding your original conviction. For me, you know what fuels me is this. I want people to say that Raul was a man of God, that he was someone who was a great leader, a great boss, a great spouse, a great parent. And he helped me become a better leader, a better student, a better follower of Jesus. Don't you want that? You want that too, that you want to grow. You want to become the best version of yourself and who God made you to be. And that's what God is trying to explain to us is we've got to have this as a part of our life in order to make it to the very end. And it's not just any kind of community. It's this Jesus-centered community. Or another way of putting it is, it's an authentic community, a community where you know and are known. Where you know what's going on in the lives of the people around you who you're doing life with, but also they know what's going on in your life. So much so that you're willing to receive correction. So much so that you're willing for someone to say, Hey, you're kind of not acting the way I thought you would act. Your speech is a little different. You're kind of taking some precautions that you probably don't need to be taking, and you're not living the full life Jesus wants you to live, and I want to help you with that. Don't you want that in your life? I want that so much so. But the problem is, as a church, we've kind of perpetuated this individualism idea in America. We've kind of said, you need to have a personal relationship with Jesus, which you do. But really, that's only 10% of what following the way of Jesus looks like. It's not just spending time with Jesus. That's how you stay connected. You don't just do that by yourself. But then for the rest of it, in order to actually take this information that God gives you and apply it, you need accountability with people. That's why you hear us here a lot say, man, circles are better than rows. We say that so much in this place. And if you were to go to any of our environments with the next generation right now, they're actually all sitting in circles at the moment because we believe that when you, the way to grow spiritually, to truly follow the way of Jesus and keep you aligned is in a group with people, with a community in a circle. You need to do that. King Solomon totally understands that. He was the wisest king who ever lived. He said this, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. See, he believed that you can't be sharpened in isolation. You need people. Now, you might be sitting here going, okay, Raul, great. I need community. I'm just too busy. I've got too many things going on. I've got too many people that are, I'm reporting to or my boss expects too much of me. My kids' activities, there's just so many things going on. I just don't have time for people in my life. We all make excuses, don't we? We have we prioritize what is important to us, don't we? Like, for example, some of you yesterday might have binged on Dahmer or on Netflix and finished the whole series, right? Some of you might have done that. Some of you might have scrolled social media. I've done that before. We prioritize and make what's important to us and make time for what's important to us. So instead, let's not make excuses. If we truly want to not be characterized by the life of hurtiness and to produce a different result and to become the me you want to be and who your heavenly father designed you to be, Here's the one thing I want you to get today. And if you don't get anything else, this is the one thing I want you to remember. I want us to be a group of people who train together. Not just try community. It's easy to try things and not make a commitment. When you train, you make a commitment, don't you? You're saying, I'm committing to doing this hard thing to become who I want to become, to get to this end result. And I'm going to do it with other people. I'm not going to train by myself. I'm going to do it with other people because they're going to help me go further, faster. And now what are you training towards? Well, it's the prayer we've been saying this whole series. God, help me walk slowly enough to experience Jesus fully and to love people deeply. See, the reason we have to train for that, because, bro, it's hard to love people, isn't it? People are messy. I'm messy. You're messy. Community is very messy. Because people are going to rub you the wrong way. You're, gonna have, you're not going to have everything in common. You're going to have different ideologies, different ways of handling your finances of parenting. They might say something that goes against your beliefs. But it's worth it. And imagine if Jesus didn't follow this principle. I mean, his 12 disciples, they had nothing in common with each other. I mean, tax collectors, fishermen, nor do they have anything in common with a rabbi. But yet, we're still talking about him 2,000 years later because he perpetuated this idea constantly that we need people in our life. Now, as you hear a message, the tension for someone like this is to just be like, okay. I'm going to join community. I'm going to go find community. I'm going to train together, and they're going to help me become who I want to become. If that's your mindset, if you go into it with something like that, you're actually not going to experience the full life Jesus offers us. Because you see, following the way of Jesus is a reciprocal relationship with the people around you. You actually have to go in the mindset of saying, I'm going to help hold other people accountable. I'm willing to be in community to help other people And then you'll receive the benefits as well once they choose to do it. But if you go in the mindset going, I'm going to join a group, I'm going to find community and they're going to help me. Well, that's so selfish, isn't it? That's completely counterintuitive to the way of Jesus. So where do you start with this? Where do you actually go where you can say, I want to spend time with people? Well, I believe it's at at your table, your table in your house with food. I know. You're like, Raul loves food. Do we really have to have food? Food changes it, doesn't it? And I'm not trying to be like my Indian grandmother who speaks in Hindi who's like, which means eat more, eat more child. That's not what I'm trying to say. Just something happens at a table where people get relaxed, don't they? Like if you're an introvert and somebody asks you a question, you can just put food in your mouth you don't have to answer the question. <laughs> just kidding. Don't do that. When there's food around and you're sitting around a table, it's just more relaxed and you're more willing to have this conversation. And when you're there... The goal is not to just be completely vulnerable and say, spill your beans and say everything in your deepest, darkest secrets. That's not what I'm saying. But here's what I want you to do. I want us to take a cue from Alcoholics Anonymous because they do this so well. They have community so well. And there's three elements to the beginning of all their meetings. And it's this. Number one, they have commonality. Someone sits down and they say, hey, my name is, and I'm an alcoholic. They're willing to identify who they are. That's their commonality. They're, all, they're alcoholics, they're together. Then they're vulnerable. They have vulnerability. They're saying, I'm an alcoholic and I don't want to be. And then there's accountability, like the author of Hebrews says. They want to become better. They don't want to have to struggle with that anymore if they're struggling with that. So there's a commonality, there's a vulnerability, and there's an accountability that they have in those groups that I feel we need for true community, for Jesus-centered, following his way, this unhurried life to have true community. And what's interesting is This is nothing new. Throughout all the scriptures, from the beginning in Genesis to Revelation, the authors, when they wrote to people, it was always with one another's statements, assuming you were in community. They would make statements like, be devoted to one another, honor one another above yourselves, love one another, cherish one another, greet one another with a holy kiss. Oh, imagine if we did that. Oh my. But it was the assumption that you were in community, but then also community was messy. That means you're going to have to bear with someone that you don't want to bear with. You're going to have to love people you might not that might be hard to love. You're going to have to honor people you might have contempt with. And so you can't go into this going, this is going to be easy. No, it is hard, but it's a place. It's a place where you're learning to love others deeply. And that's why this isn't enough just to sitting in a row or watching on a screen. You need to take this information and apply it and find your community. And so the way you do that is you would first you need to identify who your community is. It could be people sitting around you right now and you're in, in just in the circle around you near you. It could be at school, the students that you just see on a regular basis if you're a student. It could be at work, in a neighborhood, at the dog park, if you're a drifter. You know what I mean? Wherever it is, it could be the circle around you is where you find community. You're not supposed to go grab somebody who you've never met to find community with. No, find the people around you. If you already have that kind of community, maybe you should be more intentional with it. Maybe you need to get together and study scripture and pray for each other and share life struggles and hold each other accountable to, find, to following this way of Jesus. So start wherever you're at. Maybe you've been telling someone, hey, we should get dinner. I say that a lot. Let's actually do it. Like Invite them over for dinner and see if they're people you can be vulnerable with. Maybe it's someone has been holding you accountable and you don't like them anymore. Maybe you need to forgive them so you can go back to having community. It could be grabbing two or three guys and saying, let's get wings and let's hold each other accountable to this new way of living, this better way of living. If you want help with that, by the way, I've got material. Maybe it's actually joining a group here at the church. Starting point group, which is a, a new to faith or exploring faith kind of group, or even what Jake mentioned in the top of the series, at the top of the service, it's a ruthless elimination of hurry. Taking these principles and sitting with a group of people and learning to apply them and being willing to be held accountable to get better, to become the me you want to be and to become who your heavenly father called you to be. Start where you are, wherever it is. And you might be sitting there going, bro, this is easy for you to talk to. You're naturally good at this. You love sitting in circles and confessing all your sins and being vulnerable. No, I do not. That actually makes me cringe. I hate it, but I do it. It makes me better. It makes me a better follower of Jesus. It helps me be better for you as well. So let's be a group of people who do this. Because when you start doing this, here's the cool part. You'll start realizing something. And it's this. That hurry and love, they're incompatible. See, you can't rush around life. You can't just treat people as a series of checklists. When they interrupt your life, you've got to come to their aid. You've got to encourage them and come to their aid like the Greek word talked about. When something happens, here's the, when something happens in their life, they'll interrupt your plans. Here's the cool part. You'll respond without even thinking. You'll be so loving and kind. You'll start exuding peace and patience. Enjoy all those fruit that you've tried to produce, but only Jesus can actually produce as a result of following him in your life. And so ultimately, let's be a group of people who understand this prayer. That when you say it, it's no longer something you're trying to convince yourself of, but it's a natural response to following the way of Jesus. God, help me walk slowly enough to experience Jesus fully and to love people deeply. God designed us to be in community with one another, didn't he? We're never meant to do life alone. And so let's be a group of people who are going to train together and not just be living in isolation and be great at being individualistic, but realizing that following Jesus is actually bigger than that, that we need community. And he commands us to love one another. So to wrap everything up we've talked about in this series, we're gonna practice the pause. We're gonna wait five seconds before reaching for our phone or doing something compulsive so we can spend time listening to the person in front of us or responding better, reacting better, not blowing up or blowing uh, or even burning out. We're going to create a framework and keep in, st- in order to keep in step with the Spirit to help us follow this way. And like we learned this morning, we're going to be a group of people who train together because the people who train together do what? They go the farthest. They hold to their original conviction. Now, before I end this morning, there's one thing I, I realized that we haven't done yet. And if you're in here and you've been trying to follow the way of Jesus, but you've never actually chosen to follow Jesus, this is kind of impossible. And so I wanna give you an opportunity to choose to follow Jesus this morning, to make that decision to say, I've never chosen to follow Jesus. Today, I'm going to do that. And we're told, Paul tells us, the apostle Paul tells us in scripture, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, which means he is the Lord over my life, I'm gonna make him king over my heart and I'm gonna submit my ways to him and give him my life. If you say with your mouth that out loud and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you believe God sent Jesus, his only son, to die for you that he will, and when you believe that, when you confess that he came back to life after dying, which is a crazy thought, you're forgiven of your sins. If you remember, sin is the thing you do that's hurt yourself or hurts others, which ultimately hurts your relationship with God. He has forgiven you, so you no longer have to strive for his love anymore. He looks at you and he is pleased and he is for you and loves you. You don't have to keep trying to earn his love. And that's why he sent Jesus, so you can have a relationship with him, not through a person, but directly to him every single day. And so, if you've never made that decision, I'm going to lead us in a prayer, and you can just repeat after me. And this, these words don't aren't powerful. It's like because not because I'm a pastor that all of a sudden it works. It's if you truly believe it in your heart, and you're willing to receive God's Spirit, which is His Holy Spirit living within you, to help you accomplish this way of living every single day, and then ultimately you'll receive the gift of eternal life, where you have to have, you'll get eternal life after you die with all of us in heaven. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you all to bow your heads and close your eyes at this time. And if you want to say that prayer and you want to give your life to Jesus, repeat after me. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thanks for loving me, for showing me a better way. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me so I can have a relationship with you. I want to make him Lord over my life. And I believe... You raised him from the dead. And because of this declaration, I receive your spirit and now I have eternal life. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for saving me and for loving me. Now with all eyes closed still, if you just prayed that prayer for the first time and you gave your life to Christ, I want to celebrate with you. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to count to three. And I want you to raise your hand and look at me just so I can praise God for you being a part of our family now. One, two, three. Awesome, 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 awesome. Can we just praise God real quick for the new members of our family? Thank you guys so much. Let's pray together. Let's pray together. God, you are so good and we are so stinking excited because this way is a better way. And people have chosen to live this way and some of us need to be reminded to live this way and we are so grateful for it. And it's all because of how much you love us and for us that you sent your son to die for us. That every single day, he is the one who gives us the strength. That if we stay connected to him and we remain in him, he is the one who produced much fruit in us. A fruit that we can't do on our own. And only through him can we live this better way. So we don't have to be characterized by hurry sickness. So our hearts can be at peace. Thanks so much for loving us. It's in your son's mighty name we pray, amen.